Hey, it's Charlie, and you're listening to the Encouragers United Podcast. I'm Charlie Grimes, ex-athletic coach and exercise physiologist, turned pastor, podcaster, and author. It wasn't all that long ago that I lacked the courage, the money, and the time to truly step into my God-given gifts to encourage, teach, and lead people to a deeper and more fulfilling life. After many failed attempts and lessons learned, I now enjoy the work of coming alongside people, hearing their stories, and helping them to start where they are, take what they have, and do what they can. This work used to only be a daydream for me. I created the Encouragers United podcast to give you simple, actionable, step-by-step teaching through both meeting new people and unpacking and the valuable lessons found in the Bible. If you're an ambitious leader, teacher, pastor, coach, or parent who's looking to make a positive impact in the lives of those around you, you're in the right place. Let's get this thing started. We'll be right back after this word from our sponsor. In 1977, a little seven-year-old was in the basement of Goebbels United Methodist Church. On a Sunday morning in a Sunday school, much like the corner classroom that Carol teaches. And a wonderful woman led me in a short prayer to ask Jesus into my heart that morning. I was forever changed that day, and I experienced the comforting security and the joy of trusting God with your spirit, with your heart, for eternity. Many of you may have that vivid memory of your great joy moment when you asked Jesus into your life as well. God became my friend that day. He opened my heart to the belief. I asked him to be inside me until I met him face to face in eternity. Just 10 short years later, As a junior in high school, I stood upon a remote sledding hill, virtually in the middle of the night by myself, at a crisis point in my faith, and I looked up at the starry night, it was clear, and I asked the Lord sincerely if I truly was saved or not. God comforted me that night with the soft and still falling of ice crystals. It was clear, it wasn't snowing, but it was the glistening of the moonlight and the water vapor in the air that God used to show me that he was there that yes, indeed, I was his child. You know, um, I fell to my knees in tears and in worship that night as a young man. It was a great joy moment of assurance that no matter what I had faced in my life up to that point, nor what I would face in my life, that he would always be there. This reaffirmation of my faith that night was uh, when I can first articulate a call to ministry. And I've been working that out for the last 30 or so years. In 1993, a strapping young gentleman who had just graduated from college stood in the front of a church in Kalamazoo, Michigan, in front of our family and our friends. I stood at the end of a long aisle and watched a beautiful woman walk right straight down that aisle towards me with her father. I saw her for the first time in that dress and my chin started to quiver. We all love that part of the the marriage ceremony, don't we? 
when that young guy sees his bride for the first time. And God had reminded me and taught me in that great joy moment the tremendous love that he has for his bride. A love that would compel him to die for that bride. And a love that compelled me to commit myself that day to love her with the same kind of love. We all look forward to Jesus coming again when he will wait for us. Perhaps his chin will quiver when he sees us too. And then in 1995, 1997, and 1999, in neat two-year packages, I was able to be one of the first people to look into the newborn faces of my little daughters as they came into this world. The worship of these great joy moments, for me that day, was in thanksgiving and relief, (laughs) realizing the great responsibility that God had given me and my wife, Wendy, to raise our children. God instilled in both of us a better understanding of how deep and how precious his love is for his children and how powerful a statement it was that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And that son would go on to die on a cross for the sins of the world because of that great love. You see, I've described moments in time, these snapshots, if you will, these great joy moments, I like to call them, isolated in my memory. They're milestones in my faith, milestones in my understanding of God and the deep sense of worshiping him in those moments, in his presence with great joy. Each instance, I was drawn to bow down to God's power, his love, his blessing in my life, his challenge in my life, We've all had these moments, haven't we? Moments where God reveals himself to you and says, I'm here. Yes, I'm here. And I love you. And if you will enter my presence, you'll have great joy. If you're like me, you wane a bit emotional and sentimental about these moments. I miss those days in some ways. These snapshots that keep us going in times of struggle and challenge. They serve as anchor points in my faith and in my identity. But I will remind you, that in your great joy moments, we all have them, you were in God's presence and you experienced great joy. I wanna give you a moment to just think back to some of your great joy moments, these snapshots in your life where God revealed himself in a powerful way. You know, the shepherds had a great joy moment, maybe a couple of them that night actually. Remember Luke 2? For behold, the angel says, I bring you good news of great joy for all people. Zechariah and Elizabeth had great joy. Mary and Joseph experienced their version of great joy moment. Simeon, Anna, even before this, King David even experienced great joy. He had quite a few of these moments. He talks about them. Read this scripture with me. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. And at your right hand are the pleasures of life. In his presence is the fullness of joy. And Ezra writes in Nehemiah chapter 8, verses, verse 10, it says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. And I don't know about you, but I need some joy and some strength these days. And we've needed joy and strength through all of 2020. Then I think we need to think about God's presence all the more. We need to practice his presence. We need to yearn and desire his presence and worship him in his presence. We bow down to him and we receive receive great joy in that moment. 
You see, we've been through a great progression here in our Advent services, and it's, you know, really my honor to close up this series. Early on, we urged each other to wake up and to see what God was doing, to rise up, to meet the challenges of the world and our enemy, to look up, to fix our eyes on Jesus. And last week, Jim taught us that if we show up, we will live in such a way as to truly see and understand what God is up to, both in our lives and in the world. And finally tonight, it's my great honor to lead us through a short study of what these wise men from the East experienced. And in many ways, they may embody all of our theme this year. And then their story culminates in a great and dramatic worship experience where they, after waking up, rising up, looking up, and showing up, they simply bow down and worship. In humble adoration and worship in the presence of the King of Kings. And we'll read that they rejoiced with great joy, having experienced their own great joy moment. The story of the wise men is truly amazing, isn't it? Like the story in Bethlehem needed to be more amazing. They're basically professors, scientists, educated men from somewhere far to the east, right? We actually know very little about these men from scripture. I know tradition has seeped in and tried to educate us on who they are, where they're from, perhaps even what their names were or how many of them there were. But actually from scripture, we do not know any of these things. But in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, we can read about them very carefully. Experts in astrology and perhaps dreams and heavenly bodies in the sky. Many scholars and historians believe these men could very well have been descendants of the Magi mentioned way back in the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. You see, Daniel was at the center of several key revelations and prophecies back then. And of course, they were written down. To be more specific, Daniel interpreted one particular dream for King Nebuchadnezzar where many believe the coming of Jesus is actually foretold. The king above all kings to establish a kingdom that is greater than all kingdoms. And later in the book of Daniel, there is even an appropriate or apparent timeline given as to when this great king will arrive. Another powerful statement about Jesus was made through other prophets like Micah. Chapter 5 of Micah, it's actually subtitled, A Ruler from Bethlehem in my, in my Bible. Isaiah is an obvious choice for those prophecies that these wise men would have had access to. Think about Isaiah 9-6. That's the classic Christmas story. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. These very wise men would have known these prophecies and the, the timeline, perhaps, and they were watching. And God spoke to them through a way that he knew they would understand. A star. Let's turn in our Bibles, if you have them, to Matthew chapter 2. I'm just going to read the first uh, 12 verses here for us to get some context and remind us of this wonderful, wonderful story of the wise men. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. 
For so it was written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. That's the Micah passage. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Can you imagine this scene? A caravan arrives, perhaps of strangely dressed travelers from a faraway land, riding perhaps on camels or with donkeys in tow. <laughs> kind of reminds me of an exhausted Terry Horner riding on his bike up a really steep hill in Amish country a few years ago. And he rides right up next to one of the locals. And the man simply turned to him and looked over his glasses and said, you're not from around here, are you? Terry huffed and puffed and laughed his way up that hill. And just as he was the talk of our bike ride that day, these wise men were certainly the talk of Jerusalem. They studied history and the prophecies of oh so long ago. They were awake. They were looking up. And when they saw this star, but you know, what exactly did they see? Many have speculated. Could have been a natural phenomenon. Some speculate it was Halley's Comet, which is calculated to have perhaps buzzed by the earth during that time of the history. And yet others believe it is called what Galileo termed the Great Conjunction. The Great Conjunction describes a time in history when Jupiter and Saturn are actually so close together that they seem to merge. And ironically, this same phenomena, those of you that are watching the news, is happening this very week. The Great Conjunction of Saturn and Jupiter. And the lousy weather here in Northeast Ohio has prevented us from seeing it. Leave it to another 2020 disappointment. And I'm sorry to tell you that this is predicted not to happen again for another 800 years. <laughs> Some are more miraculous in their opinion, stating that this light would be similar to the pillars of fire or smoke that we read about in the Old Testament that the Israelites were led by, by day and by night. Nonetheless, in seeing what they knew to be the star rising, they take action and they show up where it leads them, in the presence of the king. But they don't mince words here, do they? Especially with Herod. Where is the one who's born king of the Jews? You see, Herod was the king of the Jews at the time. You notice that they didn't even think that it was him, right? One cannot miss the contrast between King Herod and King Jesus. May go without saying, Herod is a king of the world. Jesus, the king of heaven. Herod is a king whose power is originated by appointment from Rome. 
the oppressive dominant kingdom that is occupying Jerusalem at the time. He's keeping his power by cruelty and force and manipulation. He's filled with fear and suspicion. King Jesus' reign is rooted in love. He's established through vulnerability, care, compassion for us. His reign will be eternal. He's living inside us now, and he will live a life on earth, as Heather has mentioned, that is marked by sacrificial love and sacrifice even to death on a cross. They didn't bow in the presence of King Herod, for there's no joy in the kingdom of this world, nor is there great joy in the presence of its leaders. They sought King Jesus, the King of Kings, with all of their hearts, with all of their resources. And as they say, wise men and women still do that today. And the star leads them to the exact place where Jesus is. They bowed low in the presence of probably a toddler Jesus at the time. We don't know exactly how long it took them to get to Jerusalem. And they gave him gifts that at the time weren't probably age appropriate, were they? But his parents would come to know soon exactly what those gifts were for. This little guy hadn't done any miracles yet. He hadn't raised the dead. He hadn't fed 5,000. He hadn't died on a cross. And he certainly hadn't been resurrected. But their pilgrimage was complete. They were able to worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, foretold so long ago. They were in his presence, and they left changed forever by this great joy moment. You realize in our day here, after the resurrection, the impartation of the Holy Spirit to our lives, we live in the presence of the Almighty. Through the bloodshed sacrifice by Jesus for our sins and through the indwelling of his Holy Spirit in us, we are the temple of God. If we can fathom that, we can have our opportunity to worship him and live in a state of great joy, no matter what our circumstance, no matter what our challenges. And even unto our death, we are loved by the king, carrying his glory. What a mystery. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Tonight, I want to leave you with a little reminder. It's a guide that I've used through my life that has given me uh, traction to my prayers and my worship. It's just a little acronym. We frequently use it here even in preparing for our worship services. I want you to try to remember this. Let this acronym be the cue for how we might pray and bow down in worship in the presence of our Lord. It's simply the word acts. The A stands for adoration. We love Jesus and we adore him. The C stands for confession because as even Beth reminded us this, this most recent week, we need to confess our sin. We're broken people. We need to say we're sorry to the one that we love. The T stands for thanksgiving, and so we have so much to be thankful for, his mercy, his presence, his provision in our life. And after these first three, then we bring our requests in the form of supplication. Hear my, hear my prayer, Lord. This is what I need. This is what I want. It doesn't always have to be a life-changing, momentous occasion like the wise men. It causes us to find joy in God's presence. He often uses those moments because we're probably most ready to hear from him at that time. But let's take a moment to just soak in his presence and the truth of the gospel in its very beginning here in Matthew. You see, we are not unlike the shepherds. We've been given a great, wonderful, joy-filled moment. We practice the presence of God in our daily lives. We're truly blessed. 
And it's this time of the year that reminds us of that blessing. And so with this in mind, how could we keep from singing? How could we keep from sharing this great truth of the love and the joy that we have received? Who might you know that does not know this joy this time of the year? Who might you come in path with, cross paths with, that doesn't realize the great joy that is found in the presence of our Lord and Savior Jesus? Who might you know that needs joy and strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow? Would you allow God to use you to be that vessel to share his joy and presence with them in 2021? Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of the Encouragers United podcast with Charles R. Grimes. For more information and to connect with optimistic, enthusiastic leaders all over the world, be sure to search for Encouragers United on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, or visit our website, charlesrgrimes.com.